Good afternoon. We're in 1 Timothy, Paul's first letter to Timothy. Our reading today is uh, from verses 12 to 17, and this passage or this section in 1 Timothy 1 uh, describes the testimony of Paul, and we'll be in this uh, section for a little while, I guess, two or three sermons, we will see, and today we're actually going to jump right into the center of his testimony, but read with me together 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. Although formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. That must have been quite a testimony in the bulletin, <laughs> possibly then the church in Ephesus, I don't know. What a wonderful passage of scripture and our text for this afternoon is kind of cheating a little bit and jumping right to the middle which is the heart of his testimony in any event verse 15 the trust saying is trustworthy deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost last week you may remember we considered the law of God and its three uses, its restraining use on us, its condemning use that condemns all mankind to just and eternal punishment before God, and its sanctifying use for the believer who loves the law and likes loves to obey the law. And it's fitting, I would say, after the law that we consider the gospel next, the law and the gospel. In fact, one of the uses of the law we observed for the seeker of God under the condemning use of the law is that the law is for the seeker, a schoolmaster to Christ. I do not need to be condemned. I can believe on Christ and it's a signpost to Christ. This is in fact exactly where the next portion of First Timothy takes us. Consideration of the law of God, the precious word of God should always be followed by the gospel, by the gospel, or lead us or point us to the gospel. In our text today, I want us to focus our attention on that verse 15 in this next section, and we'll pick up the rest in the new year, Lord willing. And it seems providential, doesn't it? And as I read the text for this week, I was like, wow, there's a Christmas sermon right there. And so this is close as first Timothy gets 
to the incarnation, and that's a big part of 1 Timothy. I've called this sermon The Purpose of the Incarnation. The Purpose of the Incarnation. And in this text, I need to say that we also find the first of the five trustworthy sayings or faithful sayings that appear in the pastoral epistles. And I, I won't go into this. This is the first. Then there's in 1 Timothy 3, 1 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 2, and Titus 3, 8. There are these little gems, these faithful sayings. And I want to bring that out because it seems to place emphasis, kind of a double emphasis, a special emphasis on these sayings that stand out. And they're important messages for Timothy and important messages for him to Pass on to the churches, church in Ephesus, or house churches, more likely in Ephesus. So the saying is trustworthy and worthy of full, deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of which I am the foremost. What is emphasized as a trustworthy saying, and one worthy of full acceptance, is this word that. It introduces a brief but marvelously full saying which sums up the whole gospel in eight Greek words. Now, the Afrikaans language, I love the Afrikaans language. and What I love about it is that there, there'll be one word and it'll be a deep, deep word and a beautiful word. And then I speak to Pastor Sam who, who loves languages and he's learned a bit of Afrikaans. And I'll have to use three or four English words to describe an Afrikaans words. An Afrikaans words. I suppose every language has its specially descriptive words. This trustworthy saying in just eight Greek words, which deserves full acceptance not only as the truth, but as a vital and a pertinent use and good news for mankind that is here. Listen to Warfield, and, and I, I'm sorry, I do love quotes, but I'll read this slowly. He says so well what is our whole consideration today about these verses. It is a joyful declaration of the purpose of Christ's coming into the world of sin and death. He descended into a sphere of evil for no other reason than to save poor sinners. He who eternally existed in the form of God willingly took the form of a servant in order to die the death that our sins deserved. Jesus did all that is included in that great word, save. He did not come to induce us to save ourselves or to help us to save ourselves or enable us to save ourselves. He came to save us. And it is therefore that his name was called Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. The glory of our Lord, surpassing all his other glories to us, is that he is our actual and complete Savior, our Savior to the utmost. We have three main headings for our sermon today. Very simple, three headings. We observe in the first place, the purpose of the incarnation was Christ's condescension. The purpose of the incarnation was Christ's condescension. As I said, this verse 15, tucked away in the middle of Paul's testimony, 
uh, is part of his testimony, and it provides it primarily. He, he provides it primarily for those false teachers who oppose his teaching that we've been warned at in this epistle, and who would slander me, but not as a justification to refute their claims, though that too is achieved, but rather to set before the false teachers and the church his true deserved state before Christ. He's not somebody special. He is saying that he might show forth the glory of the gospel and prove the law which they've used incorrectly and inappropriately is in fact good because it points us to the gospel. It points us to the real reason of the incarnation and the coming of Christ and the glories of Christ's condescension and the grace of the gospel Shown, he says, to the worst of sinners. I'm nobody special. I'm the worst of them all. And if Paul was the worst, what are we? What are we? And he places himself as the number one sinner. Note verse 13 and 14, which leads up to our text. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of the Lord Jesus overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus. And at the end of verse 15, our text, Christ came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Brothers and sisters, the purpose of the incarnation was Christ's condescension. And Paul follows Christ's example and humbling example Paul would humble himself, or like all sinners, we are all to be humbled before a holy God. But Christ's condescension was a willing and a deliberate condescension. And as God, as God, he entered as a man, the realm of fallen world, of sinfulness, of wickedness, a people on earth who had altogether become wicked and wayward in every way. Yet Christ condescends himself by taking the nature of a servant. The holy, eternal Son of God, even to consider entering a defiled and sinful world of lost sinners. And that's what our text says. Jesus Christ came into the world. This world, this terrible wayward world, this world of sin and death and sorrow. Charles Wesley's hymn, they shall call his name Emmanuel, you know that wonderful hymn, at the end of the first stanza, God contracted to a span, incomprehensibly made man. And, and that Christological hymn in Philippians 2 describes Christ's incarnation in this way. It says, who though he was in the form of God, the glorious God, in, in essence, in morphe God, did not count equality with God something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human, for human form. He humbled himself even further, becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. I don't know about you, but when you, about, about you, but when I take a journey whether it's a business trip or just a, a vacation in the place you're going to stay, well, I, I want to stay in a better place. I want to stay in a nicer place. 
I want to come to a more luxurious place than where I'm coming from. And perhaps you have a humble little home uh, with, in a questionable area, perhaps even with no sea views or glorious mountain range in the background. And our thinking is, well, I'm going on holiday. And in South Africa, this is easy because the costs are much lower. You can go to a glorious place. And a place on the sea, where the sea breaks and you hear the sea in the morning or mountains in, in the background and you'll say, why else would I go? Why, why would I go to somewhere less comfortable than my place? Well, Christ's condescension involved leaving the glories of heaven, laying aside his majesty and glorious brilliance, the Shekinah glory that is attached to being a part of the Godhead. He humbles himself and he clothes himself in frail humility. And he becomes a helpless fetus in a womb, immaculately there conceived by the Holy Spirit, and Christ came into the world. And as Mary gave birth to the incarnate Son of God, his condescension is seen further as he's dependent on his mother's milk. The Almighty God, a suckling infant with his mother, He's dependent on his earthly parents to raise him. And as he grew, he had like passions. He was bled. He bled when he was injured. When he walked or ran, he became tired. He was tested in every way, just as we are, the eternal Son of God, yet without sin. From the glories of heaven to become a pilgrim and a wanderer not knowing each night where he would lay his head and call home. There was no such place. His life was an extended mission trip in the worst of places, the worst of conditions, as he went about doing good and preaching the kingdom of heaven. The purpose of the incarnation was the condescension of Christ. He was tempted in the desert like a man who might sin, but he knew no sin, but he was tempted in every way, just as we are. For four, after 40 days of fasting, he wept at Lazarus' tomb. His body was wrecked with pain as a cruel Roman cat of nine tails tore his flesh, and a crown of thorns was pierced and pushed into his brow, and cruel nails were driven through his hands and his feet. This is what it meant when Christ Jesus had come into the world. The prophecies concerning Christ were now all fulfilled. And this was the purpose of the incarnation, the condescension, the humiliation of our Lord Jesus Christ. John's Gospel paints us so well. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. And all things were made through Him. Without Him was not anything made that was made. Then verse 14, And the Word became flesh, dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And we beheld His glory. Glory was of the only begotten Son of God. Christ's condescension from ruler of all things to a pilgrim and a suffering Servant. The purpose of the incarnation was the condescension of Christ. We observe in the second place what a glorious gospel we have. 
Secondly, the purpose of the incarnation was the redemption of mankind. All of that for us. The purpose of the incarnation was the redemption of mankind. This is a trustworthy saying and worthy of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That was the aim. That was the object. Why the condescension? Why the humbling and humiliation? Why the suffering and pain? Why the laying aside of the glories of heaven, the brilliance, the splendor of that which accompanies the Godhead so that we cannot look on God and live? Why the incarnation? Why would God the Son take humanity into himself, take on the nature of a man into that divine nature? Because it was the triune God's covenant plan from all eternity. It was the covenant triune God's plan from all eternity. Why? Because God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's why Jesus came. The purpose of the incarnation was the redemption of mankind. The incarnation was explained to Mary and Joseph, the humble couple from Nazareth, in the name that he was to be called. They knew it. You shall call his name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. He came to save sinners. He came to save those who could not and would not help themselves. Christ errand into this world in his condescension was to seek and to find and to save those which were lost. Jesus' own words in Luke 10, 10, 19, 10, for the Son of Man came to seek that which was lost. The ratification of this is that faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance. It is good news. This is the gospel. This is worthy of all acceptance, and it's not too good to be true. It's not too good to be On earth, when there's a deal that's just too good to be true, it is too good to be true. But this is not too good to be true. It's a faithful saying, then worthy to be embraced in the arms of faith. It's worthy of all acceptance and therefore to be received with holy love, as Paul says, which refers to the previous verse, where the grace of Christ is said to abound to him in faith and love. Brothers and sisters, this is the most blessed news for all who have believed on the Christ child who has come into the world. Jesus Christ came into the world for this purpose, to save his people from their sins. And unbeliever, I must ask you today, and I know there are unbelievers here, I know you might come to church every Sunday or frequently, but there are some unbelievers here, and I'll ask you, what is this news to you? A pleasant story at Christmas time, promoting goodwill and peace among men? It's kind of a good feeling, isn't it? Perhaps it even makes you teary-eyed at this time of the year when we sing carols and we tell the Christmas story all over again. We see the gifts around the Christmas tree. You're even glad that you come to church at Christmas time. If this is it, then it's nothing to you. 
it will be of no value to you except an emotional feeling of well-being. Christ came to seek and to save that which was lost. And if you are lost today in this place, if you're without Christ, without God in the world, Christ came to seek and to save you, that which was lost. If you do not see yourself as lost and sinful and helpless, then you won't find a savior in Jesus Christ. You won't. Then the incarnation will have no real meaning to you. Then the gospel and eternal life and the forgiveness of sins in Christ Jesus is not for you. And unfortunately, you will die in your sin. And the truth is, the gospel is not for everybody. It is only for those who believe. It is for all those who believe. The good news of salvation is for those who want it. It's for those who desire it more than anything else in the world. For those who would give up anything and everything to follow Christ and be saved. It is for those who feel the weight of their sin like a burden that they are unable to bear any longer and desire the forgiveness of sins of the saved from the Savior who died on the cross for their sin. You must want this more than anything else. Then the gospel is for you. For those who say, I believe that Christ died for my sins. And perhaps you want to say that and you feel... You don't really have the heart of faith. You don't know if you can really mean that. Well, say it. Cry, believe that Christ died for my sins according to the gospel. Lord, help my unbelief. The Old Testament announces the gospel. You shall seek me and you will find me when you seek for me with all your heart. And here's the promise. And I will be found of you. And I will be found of you. Because Christ loved those in his church from before the foundation of the world. He came into the world not to call the righteous, but to call sinners to repentance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. This is a trustworthy saying. A full acceptance, worthy of full acceptance. This is the testimony of Paul in, his, in this passage and the testimony of every Christian's experience and is also the utterance of the word of God here to us today. It is written. It is God, the Holy Spirit, who says to us today, Christ came into the world to save sinners. This is a sure thing. This is backed by thousands of years of believers from the time of Christ. And most of all, it is backed by the word of God. God has said it and irrefutably and indelibly written it. Paul writes this as a testimony of his own state of his heart. Let's spend a moment to consider what it means that Christ Jesus has come into the world to save the sinner. Negatively and positively, and we'll be very quick. Just some things. What does this mean that Christ came to, to save sinners? Negatively, to rescue men from sin's guilt. To rescue men from sin's guilt. Is there nothing worse than guilt that we carry around with us? I have seen men on their deathbed start mumbling about the sins of the youth and things like that that are a kind of shocking, it's the guilt of man is a great thing. And Christ came into the world negatively to, 
rescue men from sin's guilt in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of our sins. There is no longer any guilt. And slavery, to rescue men from sin's slavery, for freedom Christ has set us free. This is what it means. From punishment Christ has come to rescue men from sin's punishment. The wages of sin still remains death. The free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ. We were children of wrath by nature, destined for eternal damnation like those who have no hope without God. Rescue men from men from punishment and from everlasting death. The Bible tells us it's appointed for man to die once and then comes judgment. But then comes eternal death for those who are not in Christ Jesus. Christ came to rescue men from everlasting death. So positively, just the inverse of that, let's mention those. To bring men into a state of righteousness, first of all. The righteousness of God has been manifested to us. And we have the righteousness of Christ which has been imputed to us. Christ dying for our sins means that he's brought us into a state of righteousness. And secondly, your freedom for where the spirit of the law is, there, there is freedom. We are no longer slaves to sin. And blessedness, that blessedness of peace with God. That blessedness that Enoch described as walking with God and God took him away. Fellowship with God. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ is our Savior and we speak to him. God is our Father and we have fellowship with him and everlasting life instead of everlasting death. Christ died for our sin to bring men into a state of everlasting life. I am the resurrection and the life. Who believes in me never die. And if he dies, even though he dies, yet he shall live. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Purpose, the incarnation was the redemption of of mankind. Thirdly and finally, we observe the purpose of the incarnation was to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. The purpose of the incarnation was to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Last, but by no means least, but of primary importance. It is the glory of God which is displayed in the forgiveness of sins and the redemption of the church by Christ with his own blood. Romans 11:36. For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever and ever. And the glory of the incarnation and all that that means for, for the church is a matter of great glory to our triune God. And indeed the overall purpose in the redemption of Christ's church must and always is the display of the grace and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. 
grace, mercy, and the love of God in Christ Jesus. The glory of the church is God's glory and a display of his wondrous work of redemption through his Son, to whom belong honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. The purpose of the incarnation is to see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ and the redemption of man from their sin. The future glory of Israel is spoken of in Isaiah 60, and that's a prophecy to the gospel. Listen to these words, the glory of Israel. Isaiah 60, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness all the people but the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. And the nations shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. It is to observe the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 4, For God who said, Let light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Brothers and sisters, this is the true purpose, the incarnation, the display of God's love, mercy, and grace in Christ Jesus and his redemption to his glory and his honor. The writer to the Hebrews, in considering the person of the work of the Lord Jesus Christ, observed that Christ, upon completion of his work, is seated at the right hand of the majesty of God on high. Listen to Hebrews 1.3. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he, Christ, upholds the whole universe by the word of his power. And after making purification for sins, the purpose of the incarnation, he sat down at the majesty of God. On high. And was this not even our Savior's? His, his, the pattern of our Savior while on earth, that his work and the work that the Father gave him to do, that willing, willing and voluntary work performed by our Savior, what was his desire? That this would bring glory to God, to the Father. And at the right time, the Father would glorify him as promised. If we I get this, it's in the high priestly prayer. You know it so well, John 17, Jesus prays. And then he says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes, and it's not only an intercessory prayer, he's speaking to his Father in heaven. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify the Son, that the Son may glorify you. Whatever, the hour of his death, the hour of the redemption of mankind, the hour that he came to save us from our sin, and what it must be the result, the glory of God and the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Christ Jesus whom you sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you after my before my condescension, before the world existed. Brothers and sisters, what a, what a glorious gospel. 
purpose of the incarnation was Christ's condescension. The purpose of the incarnation was the redemption of mankind. The purpose of the incarnation was to behold the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Well, here's a trustworthy saying, worthy of full acceptance. What should our response be to this saying? Two things by way of application, two things. It's a trustworthy saying. By God, worthy of full acceptance, accept the message and give glory to God for his salvation. Accept the message and give glory to God for his salvation. It's worthy of full acceptance. It's a written statement from the Holy Spirit. And unbeliever, I speak to you again. Take this free gift of salvation. Take this trustworthy statement because above anything else, it is worthy of full acceptance. And believer, take it again. Put your hands around the cross. Take it every day. Christ died for my sin according to the scriptures. And let your light shine. And may the light of Christ shine in the church as we worship God for his redemption. And may the nation still be drawn to his light. And his glory in the church. The glory of God in the forgiveness of sins. Come unbeliever. Here's a trustworthy statement. This is it. This may be your last chance. Who knows what tomorrow may bring. Accept the message. And give glory to God for his salvation. Secondly and finally. To humble ourselves. After the pattern of our saviors. Condescension. And humiliation. To humble ourselves after the pattern of our Savior's condescension and humiliation. And in Paul's testimony, this is how he ends. And we should see ourselves as Paul saw himself in humility. As the first among sinners. As the least of the saints. That in due time we may be raised up to give glory and honor and blessing and power to him who sits upon the throne and the Lamb. Oh, worship God for his plan of redemption in his Son. Believers, worship God for the Son, for his perfect willing obedience and sacrifice for our sin. Oh, worship the Holy Spirit who effects and perfects, effects and perfects the work of Christ in our hearts by the new birth in which we are redeemed and justified and adopted into the family of God and through whom we will all be raised up on the last day. This was the purpose of the incarnation. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. Glory be to the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we bless you at this Christmas time this time of a reminder, the incarnation of our Savior, for his condescension and his humility, for his death on the cross. Oh, Lord Jesus Christ, thank you that you came into this sinful world. Thank you that you humbled yourself even unto death in obedience to the Father and willingly lay down your life as a ransom for Mary. Oh, Lord, help us, we pray, to worship you as your people as we ought, in the beauty of holiness 
And Lord, lay your hand upon those who have not bowed the knee to Christ, that this day they may see this worthy of full acceptance, this wonderful statement that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. In Christ's name, amen.